It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. We are back with another episode of the Take Talk Podcast the regular season is over, Steve. We are out of week 18 into the playoffs. Um, I know for me, it feels freaking awesome to be done with the regular season as far as our jobs go. Um, yeah. What about you, man? How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Um, I was sitting here thinking about the podcast the last couple of days. And I was like, man, we I could. there's a lot to talk about. There's like, <laughs> that's the joy of the end of season is it feels like there's just so much happening all at the same time and everything feels very high stakes. So it's fun because yeah, I could talk about it for probably three hours and on, you know, four different topics and whatnot. So yeah, yeah I'm excited. And also, yes, the, the thought, the thought of not having to do 18 or 16 games yeah. anymore for work sounds real nice, real nice. Um, all right, so well, we got a action-packed show for you guys today. It's going to be a three-segment there. First of all, we're going to jump into Pro Bowl snubs. Steve, I know we had some some thoughts there. Um, I didn't think there were too many, but there, to me there was two or three glaringly obvious ones. I'm sure we agree on those. Let's just start it off. Amon Ross St. Brown, Steve, should have been a Pro Bowler. Yeah, I mean, that is about as egregious – of a you know as of a snub as I've seen in a while, just because he finished with fifteen hundred yards, ten touchdowns, um, on a playoff team, was the leading receiver for the team. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's it's wild because, yeah, I just I can't believe it. That's a that's a pretty remarkable stat line that usually gets you a Pro Bowl ten times out of ten. And I mean, even Amara said it. He's like, he's like, I guess I'd have to go look and see uh, how many times that's happened because he's like, I'm pretty sure it hasn't happened very often. Um, not only has that not happened often, his stat line in general hasn't happened often. There's been the amount of 115, 1500, and 10 seasons in the NFL is less than 10. So, I mean, we're talking about one of the better seasons ever for a wide receiver. Um, I don't know what to tell you, man. Seems pretty crazy. I know AJ Brown got the nod. I think possible, you know, AJ Brown, I would say is a better player than Amon Ross St. Brown. So I'd have no problem saying that. Pretty comfortable sure. in that. I'm sure coaches feel that way. And that's ultimately who has the final say, right? Players and coaches after fan voting. Right. Um, so Brown getting in doesn't really surprise me, but I think people were still stuck on that crazy stretch he had where it was like, what do you have, like 125-plus yards in six straight games or whatever? Yeah, that was yeah, that, it, and that's, 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 that's great, one. but he literally hasn't done anything since then. <laughs> right. He had that – yeah, he, he had the six-game stretch, and it was like, oh, my gosh, nobody is – nobody can stop him ever. And then yep. he immediately got – well, not just him, but the Eagles in general immediately got stopped, and they went on yeah. a very listless tear – of mediocrity yep. that has landed them in the spot that they are now of, you know, everybody wondering what in the world is going to go on 
with them in the playoffs. Yes. Um, the reality is there's just a lot of really good receivers in the NFC this year. Brandon Ayuk had a case to be snubbed. I think it was yeah. interesting Puka Nakua got in as a rookie over Amon Ra, who has done this now. This is his third year of 90 receptions or more. You would think the, I guess, Amon Ra, like the fact that, I mean, it's year three. It's not like this is a fluke anymore. Like he's he's that dude. You'd think coaches would take notice and they would have put him in over Puka. Um Anyways, it is what it is. Yeah. We've had a great season, obviously, so I'm not discrediting that. But a lot of times, when you see a guy get snubbed, the argument's always, oh, well, it's because he's young. People just don't know who he is that much yet. Well, right. that's not true for anymore. This is year three. He's never had less than 90 catches in a year. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. So, um, Yeah, he's um, – I mean, he's broken, broken or matched a lot of the Lions records. Yeah, I mean, with Puka, I get it. You know, he did set – two different rookie records that's a big deal people pay attention yeah. to that stuff um i and i just think it comes down to Aminra. it's just not flashy when he, when and what he does and i think that that that's something there's something to be said about that not that it's fair to him or anything like that and i, I completely disagree but i just i think that he's such a dirty work grinder it doesn't always happen in the flashiest ways I think that that's something true to do that as well. Yeah. And it, I, you know, I think that that'll probably, it'll fade and it'll be one of those things where next year we're, we may be talking about the same thing again, yeah. cause he I does just, fall into that category, but it's just, you know, with Puga, it's, it's records. And that's very, like, I think that's easy for people to point to. And but the records are based on a curve out. though. That's the, that's the part that bothers me. It's like we we're yeah. grading Puga on a curve cause he's a rookie. Like who cares? Yeah. He had less catches, less yards, less touchdowns than Amon Ra by a lot. Yeah, and I like I listen. I, I agree with you. I'm yeah. on the same page. I just think that 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 like, especially because you hear about it all the time with like the NFL 100, and I'm sure it kind of goes similarly with the Pro Bowl, where people don't realize how little every other team players coaches and all that pay attention to people outside of their organization or outside of the people that they match up with that week and so puka has that just that name recognition of like oh yeah well we've all heard we've all heard of him we've all we're all we've all heard of what he's doing this year and so i think that that's an easier thing for those guys to fall back on when it comes time that they you know they get the phone call or they get the piece of paper that they have to submit for the pro bowl and it's like, oh well, oh, yeah. I've heard I've heard Pukunakua's name like four times because, you know, everybody's talking about how he's breaking records. Well, I better throw him in there because he deserves it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, another snub: Josh Allen, Buffalo quarterback. Now, listen, I've been critical of Allen all year. I think he's cost them several games with the turnovers, but you'd be hard pressed to ever find a forty-four touchdown quarterback not make the Pro Bowl. Like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and the, like it's again it's one of those things where it's like put another quarterback on the buffalo bills this year and i'm not sure they make the i'm not sure many people take the bills to the lengths that they're getting to right now yeah because that roster's been you know it's had its fair share of injuries they've obviously had their fair shares fair share of up and downs Obviously, that some of that is on Josh Allen with the turnover numbers and everything. You can't right. really take away from that. But 
it doesn't matter. He's yeah. What he had 457 rushing yards, 3,900 passing yards, 27 passing touchdowns, 15 rushing touchdowns. Like again, like you said, 44 touchdowns is pretty, or 42 touchdowns is pretty egregious to leave out. Yeah, and, and like Tua beat him. Um, in the part I guess that's really weird is so Tua had a good season from a passing standpoint. Doesn't yeah. affect the game the way Allen does in the in the run game. Yeah. Allen only had a couple hundred yards less passing. They had the same amount of touchdowns, and Josh Allen also had 15 rushing touchdowns. Yeah, and guess what? Tua actually turns the ball over pretty much the same level of frequency Josh Allen did this year. So the turnovers were also an issue for Tua. So I'm like, right. I guess I didn't get the logic of why Tua made it over Josh Allen. It just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I again, you wonder if it's the thing of like the turnover. Everybody talks about the turnovers for Josh Allen, whereas everybody was talking about the explosiveness of the Miami offense. And, it, you know, it's just all I, it, it seems to come down to. Which, you know, I think I that's the issue with Pro Bowls. And I think that there's, yeah. you know, it sucks when players get incentive incentives and whatnot tied to Pro Bowls because so much of it is just like, what are people talking about and what have people heard? And that seems to be the thing that grabs people. Cause like another person that got snubbed is like Legarius Sneed. That's a guy oh, that like totally. I don't, how did he not make it? He had he had one of the better seat, one of the better cornerback seasons in a long time. And he, I mean, he shadowed every single, almost every single team's best receiver yes. this year. Yep. And he, the fact that he's not in there is crazy. It, like he gave up zero touchdowns this year. Yeah. Uh, another egregious one was Antoine Winfield, Tampa Bay Buccaneers safety. I know we talked pre-show about him. Uh, the, the the really puzzling thing is the guys that made it over him. <laughs> Buda yeah. Baker made half the season. Julian Love, like, listen, Love had a resurgence in Seattle. There's no doubt about it. And I know what he had some nice interception numbers, but they're not even close to the same level of player to me. Winfield no. and Love, not even no. close. And I thought Love had a, or uh, sorry, I thought Winfield had a, a great season. So, yeah. And I mean, yeah, it just like he, uh, Winfield ended up with 117 tackles, five tackles for loss, five sacks. Five forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries, three interceptions, twelve pass defended. I think like a guy like Buddha Buddha Baker, which like listen, he's a great player, but I think he had zero sacks, zero forced fumbles, zero fumble recoveries, zero interceptions this year. And so it's like how like, like that it, it all just comes down to why the Pro Bowl is such an issue because it's such a who it's a, it usually is a name just a who can you yeah. name from you know a team that you know has been good at some point in their career nfl.com has uh winfield with six sacks 12 that's passes defended, three picks that's funny because i'm looking at nfl.com a different obviously a different article on nfl.com oh you know what article you're reading i bet you was written when before week 18 was played oh yeah that might be yep that's a good point gotcha um, but yeah, so Winfield, though, I mean, dude is an absolute stud. You can make the argument he's the best safety in the NFC. I mean, he's that freaking good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Loki, something kind of exciting, too, is uh, the emergence of Ify Melifanu. We, we always got to bring this back to the Lions because that's, of that's course, before. 
But if he's game the last four or five weeks, he's emerged as the Lions' probably best defender other than Aiden. Uh, it, re- it resembles Antoine Winfield quite a bit, um, what they're doing. Yeah. With him. A lot of blitzing, a lot of sack production, a lot of hit quarterback hits, but he's also getting the ball production on the back end too. Very uh, good utility type player. So, oh, covering yeah. the slot a little bit, playing in the box, playing deep. They just kind of move him all over the place. Really like what I've seen from from Iffy there. Reminds me of Antoine Winfield Jr., a Pro Bowl snub. There we go. Yeah. Full circle. Last guy was um, last guy. Real quick was Derek Brown. He had 100 tackles as a defensive tackle. I'm not sure that's a good thing, but yeah. it, it probably isn't, but like, that's insane. It is insane. And like insane. Get, throw Carolina a bone. They've had a really tough year. Come on guys. Just let them have one thing. True. True. Who, who actually made it for interior Donald? Yeah. See, that's the problem though. Donald Lawrence and Hargrave, you're taking one of them out yeah. for, for, for maybe, Brown, maybe Hargrave. This is where I think they should have. I was talking to Chris about this. They should almost have like two flex spots. Yeah. We're like, you know, here, like in a year where we have five amazing receivers, we can give one of those flex spots to a receiver. Or there might be a year where you got five defensive ends that are worthy. I know that kind of right. dilutes it a little bit. It doesn't make it, you know, I, I guess it, when you made the Pro Bowl and there's only three slots, that's a kind of a cool accomplishment. I guess it, it gets a little diluted right. if it's five slots, but right. uh, it is what it is. The, uh, not that we wanted to talk about this. I'm just looking at the NFC Pro Bowl roster right now. They love Seattle for whatever reason. Bobby Wagner, who had a really bad season by his standards, made the Pro Bowl. That doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, yeah. You could argue there's at least 10 linebackers in the NFC that played better than Bobby. Um, Devin Witherspoon, love him. Again, gr- I think his future's bright, really good player. I don't think he was consistent enough this season to be a Pro Bowler as a rookie. You know, yeah. and when you look at what he does on the field, that's a spot where maybe you give Antoine Winfield a little bump there because he could play. He plays some slot corner. That's kind of how right. they do. I don't know. They need to be a little more creative though with how they give out these these spots. Yeah, because um, like you could just do defensive backfield instead of having yeah. strong free corner. Just do defensive yep. backs. Especially because they don't even play a real game anymore. It's not like you have to assemble an actual team. It's all flag right. now, seven on seven. Right. So, right. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on. I wanted to hit coaches really quick, Steve. We've got what six head coaching vacancies now. Atlanta, Carolina, Raiders, Chargers, Titans, and Commanders. Is there another one I'm missing? I feel like there's one I'm missing, but I don't I can't think of it. I think no, we good. We good. That's good, right? Six. I think yeah, everybody's everybody was waiting, is waiting, or thinking that uh the Patriots, because that's the—I mean—that's the big one that everyone's like. Well, Bill Belichick's going to get fired. Yes, but I mean, at this point, I think we're probably too late for that to happen. If it hasn't happened by now, it's probably not going to happen. So this got me thinking because uh, I think everyone was surprised that Vrabel got fired. Um, I shouldn't say everyone; there were people calling for it for sure. But when you look at Vrabel. He he's been a guy that's maximized the talent on the roster consistently. Yes. Going back to you know that 2019 team, the 2020 team, those teams are really good, and the roster was not great. Um, he really really maximized what they were doing there. Obviously, it hasn't been pretty this year or even part of last year. So, um, but when I kind of broke into Vrabel and his tenure there, he's a defensive guy. You can't help but notice he's had four offensive coordinators since 2019. 
Matt LaFleur was great. Got poached by the Packers. He's yeah. obviously from the, the Sean McVay coaching tree. They hired from within with Arthur Smith, who I believe was the tight ends coach under LaFleur. Arthur yep. Smith takes that offense to another level. He gets poached by the Falcons. Todd Downing then gets the bump internally. Um, that didn't work out, so they they let, let him go. And then this year was Tim Kelly. But I guess what I'm getting to here is I was surprised to see the amount of defensive coaches as top candidates this year. Um, because it seems yeah. like all the talk you hear is it's all it's offense. Like you got a young quarterback, got to get an offensive guy. Yeah. And when I look at what happened with Vrabel, I still think he's an awesome coach. But when you're a defensive guy, you're pretty much always going to have to deal with your offensive coordinator getting poached, unless your offense isn't very good. But that probably means you're not you don't have job security yourself, right? So right, it's an offensive league. So it's kind of like. There's not a ton of incentive to go hire a defensive-minded guy unless you have an entrenched quarterback who is all like if you're like walking into a, a prime Tom Brady, like he doesn't need an offensive coordinator really, you know. So right. it's like you don't really care. But when you're looking at guys like Raheem Morris again and Dan Quinn's name is getting thrown out everywhere, and Mike yeah. McDonald and Aaron Glenn, it's just like I feel like those guys just aren't set up for success. Like who Who's going to coach Carolina? Like, are they, if they hire a defensive guy, like you might as well just kiss Bryce Young's development goodbye. Yeah, unless and unless you have a defensive guy that's pulling from a system that you believe in, and he's bringing someone with him. So, and, like, you know, like the D'Amico, right? Yeah, but D'Amico's going to run into the same problem. He, yep. He's he's going to lose Sloak. Probably not this year. I think Sloak's a little young, a little unseasoned. You know, Sloak was a quality control analyst like three years ago. So, I mean, he's still kind of – and I could be wrong. Maybe Sloak ends up getting a job. But there's enough other offensive guys in Ben Johnson, Dave Canales, Brian Callahan, you know, Todd Monken even, where I think you might he might be lower on the, the totem pole right now for the offensive guys. Um, but eventually he will lose Bobby Sloak. I mean, that's yes. pretty much guaranteed. So, again but – like But they have C.J. Stroud, so it might be – it might be okay. And, and and this is one of the this pipeline specifically is one of the ones where it works because there's the next guy he could go grab the QB coach in LA or San Francisco he could go grab one of Lafleur's dudes in Green Bay like that yep. coaching tree is so wide and they're yep. so good about bringing up the next guy that 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 might work if you're pulling from that system but for everyone else you know like that um, what was I going to say um, like Ben Johnson's like a one off like if he leaves. Yeah, I think he he embodies Dan Campbell's mentality, but it's still going to be a huge loss for Detroit. And I think Dan will welcome calling plays. To be honest with you, I don't think, you know, because he actually called plays in the twenty twenty when they let yeah. uh, Anthony Lynn go. Campbell called plays down the stretch, and he was actually initially reluctant to hand it over to Ben Johnson. I remember in that off season, they were the you know the press corps was asking them constantly, "Who's going to be calling plays this year?" And he says, I don't know yet. I don't know. We haven't decided. Might be me, might be Deuce, might be Ben. We don't know. Um, so I like, but Ben Johnson's a one-off. There's not a, there's not a guy. You know, he's not from a system where there's they're constantly trying right. new, new minds. You know, like right. Slowick's what the tenth guy from this system to get hired, and he's obvious. Yeah. He's he's a machine. He's you know, you've got McDaniel so there, right? You got McDaniel, the Lafleur brothers, uh, Cincinnati guy Taylor, Zach Taylor. Yeah, um, it's just. You know, like when is Zach Robinson going to get a job in LA? Shout out ZR. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably, I mean, he's probably next up for 
a coordinator job somewhere. He is a coordinator. He's a, isn't he the officially their offensive coordinator? Is he the officially there? He might be. I might. Or yeah. Maybe, maybe they just, don't give that title out because I think maybe McVay keeps that one to himself. But Just, um, just to try and preserve personnel, yeah. he doesn't give them right. the official title. But at worst, he's pass game coordinator for sure. Um, anyways, all that to say, be weary of defensive-minded head coaches just because you're going to be if, – if your offense is ever good, you're going to be chasing coordinators for the rest of your existence. <laughs> so Yeah, and like um, that's where – I mean, the Chargers right now, you could argue, would be maybe okay going after a defensive coordinator as their head coach. Really? Which, you know, I, I mean, it's it's probably it probably won't happen just because of the bad blood left by Staley and going for the smartest guy in the room, smartest guy on defense, and it absolutely blew up in their face because their defense was terrible, but. It, it is a team. They have an entrenched quarterback, like you said. Um, well, well, I don't put him as an entrenched quarterback. No, really. He hasn't done enough for me. Like, no, no. I think if I'm the Chargers, I am throwing – I'm throwing a Brinks truck at Ben Johnson, Brian Callahan, you know, shoot, maybe even Dave Canales. I don't know. I got to get an offensive genius in there to try to – because he – no, he, he – like he – they have not got enough out of him. And a lot of that is coaching. Like it's not necessarily Justin's fault, but like they got to keep right. pushing the They got to keep developing him because he's not there yet. Um, just plain and simple. His the moments of him just carrying that team on his back are too few and far between for what they're paying him and what the expectations are. Right. They, Which I, I mean, I think would sell out for an of, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. You could go a lot of different ways with it because I think that so much of it. I think a lot of that also stems from you know the failure so to say, of the GM to put the right pieces around them and the way they invested their money in different places and how they could have they could have pivoted and they could have gotten different guys and not gone with two possession receivers um, and, you know, it invested a ton of money into a lot of aging, big-name free agents on the defensive side. And so rebuild the defense, trust Kellen Moore on offense and go from there, but... It's, it they're they're probably the the most interesting um team just from a standpoint of theirs on paper right now i think everybody kind of th- like th- thinks and agrees that that's like the quote unquote best opening but at the same time there's a lot of work that has to go into getting that team where you want it to be and the immediate expectations that come with getting hired into a place that has Justin Herbert because you don't get that you will I don't think you'll get as much of a leash as you would in you know Atlanta or uh Tennessee or Washington or any like you know really any of those places because they have the they have the quarterback piece to figure out and their roster isn't you know most of those rosters aren't set up to win right now but the Chargers your clock starts immediately. You don't really get the favorable position of like, well, they don't really have a quarterback. They have an aging roster. There's a lot to figure out. Like you're, you have to get yeah. that thing going probably within two years almost, but, but they don't have the cap space that say like the commanders have the commanders are walking with walking in with 70 million of cap space next year. So that gives a, like a coach and a GM, a lot of space. So yeah. like I, I, agree that the chargers job is enticing but i don't know if i agree with everyone that 
which is basically what this is to say, is that the Chargers, I don't know if it's the best job available that everyone thinks it is. Steve, to me, there is nothing remotely enticing about the Chargers job other than you get to a very warm city. Um, <laughs> right in the in the even your the taxes, your taxes are going to be higher than they are everywhere yes. else. Like, there's nothing. Yes. Um, love Justin Herbert. Like I, I've already ranted, I think he needs to take the next step. I don't want to be on the hook for that when I don't have a ton of resources at my disposal. Yeah, and this is where maybe maybe, and I probably sound like I'm backtracking now. Maybe a guy like Mike Vrabel or Jim Harbaugh is better suited for that job because they can come in and maximize what's already there. Like Vrabel yeah. could come in with, like that roster is significantly better than whatever he's dealing with in Tennessee. Now, I'm sure there's an argument to be made. Vrabel was part of the problem with the personnel in, in Tennessee, but that's for, you know, that's for a different story for a different day. Assuming they get a GM and yeah. that's not going to let Vrabel make too many of those decisions. Maybe, maybe Vrabel is a better, a, a good idea for the chargers. Maybe a Jim Harbaugh is because they can come in. Um, they're veterans. They're pros. They know exactly how to get a team culture built and they can, you know, do that quickly where, you know, like you said, the expectations are going to be high right away. So, yeah. Um, one last bit on the coaching. I just have to get off my chest, Steve. With all of the stuff going on, how is Doug Peterson not talked about as a guy that, like, what? I, sorry, like, Steve, like, what happened in Jacksonville yesterday is like if John Hansen, the guru, our majority owner here came to me and said, Brett, data underperformed this year. And we gotta we gotta figure this out. Like, what do you what do you think you should do? And if I came back to John and said, you know what, we need to fire the entire data staff. Chris has got to be gone, Steve's gotta be gone, all the part-time guys are gone. You know what? I even think we should fire Scott just because he's involved in in the forward-facing product of data. <laughs> Let's get rid of him too. John would look at me and say, you're fired. <laughs> John, yeah, that's because I'm responsible for hiring all those people. Right. And so Doug Peterson literally relieved his entire staff of duty yesterday. Guys he brought there within a what a year and a half of bringing them there, except for Press Taylor. Okay, there we go. That was Press, press is the guy he kept. And the irony be about all this, Steve, is Doug Peterson got fired in Philadelphia for an uh, unwillingness to get rid of Press Taylor. The same <laughs> disease is killing him here in Jacksonville. I can't believe Trent Balky and that ownership group allowed this to happen. And I'm not, listen, I'm not certainly not calling for Doug Peterson's job yet, but I find it insane. You, They fired seven coaches yesterday. Or yeah. sorry, relieved them of duty. I find it insane that they relieved seven coaches of duty yesterday and not one person has up and said, Doug, that's on you. You hired all these people. Like, yeah. Why is I, I don't see he gets a free pass? It blows my mind. I also don't understand how uh, Trent Balky Balky is making it out of here kind of clean too. That is that part that roster like, these draft picks. Oh my god, dude, it's bad. The draft picks, the free, the money invested into free yeah. agency, like everything that went wrong with this roster, you like. The two guys that are that are directly responsible for all of this are like making it out of this offseason, Scott, like clear, like yeah. absolutely. Clear you know, maybe they're going to next season on the hot seat, Steve. Maybe we don't. We're not aware of what's they actually. Probably, being I mean, they absolutely but, have to be. I yes, think. well, bulky like, for sure. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. And I, I can't believe Peterson did move on from press. Like they fired the entire defensive coaching staff. Like that was the main problem. Now listen, their defense hasn't been great, but oh my god, you've watched this 18, 17 games of that offense, and we're like, yeah, offense is fine. They're clean. They can keep press and Peterson. Yeah. And never. What are we doing? I mean, Anyways. they like they were one of the most inefficient running offenses in the NFL this year. And, I think they Travis were, Etienne had a stuff rate of like fifty-seven percent on the year. Yeah, I think he was thirty. I think he was like thirty-second or something. It, well, I think their crazy. offenses, their offense as a whole, was thirty-first in stuff That's rate, wrong. and that was coming off the heels of last year. I think they were thirty-second as a team in stuff rate. So they did. Yeah, and that's only because Kenneth Walker plays in the NFL. You know, like right. Right. He's blind. And he's, so and and Kenneth blind. Walker got, you know, above he better this, this year. year. He was a little bit better. Yeah. Jacksonville did like they didn't improve a lick at all. And yeah. like they're kind I think they're nearing or are in cap hell because they've invested an insane amount of money into what I think you would I think everybody would kind of consider second tier um free agents. Well, that's the crazy part is bulky's best acquisition is probably Christian Kirk and he overpaid for him by like $40 million. <laughs> right. And to so, mean like, you're still looking at that was what that was three, two years ago, two, three years two ago. ago. Yeah. And you're still looking at it and it's like, that's still too much money. Like you managed to overpay him like that. Rarely does that happen that you sign a free agent and uh, to like a bit, a big ticket deal. And yeah. three years later, you're still looking at it like, Oh my God, that's still really high. Because just the way that inflation and contracts and everything just kind of like slowly tick, like ticks up like that. And the same with voice out of Louicon, like he, they paid him a truckload of money for, yeah. for, you know, and hey, he's led the he's led the NFL in tackles, which, you know, sounds great, but it's not always the best thing in the world. The same year they signed him, Steve, they went and drafted a linebacker in the first round. Yeah, and Devin Lloyd, and then they they doubled down with was it a late second or early third on uh, Muma? Muma, uh, the, uh, the I think that was a uh, third. I think it was a third. I think he was in the eighties. Okay. So point being, I mean, why why did you back the Brinks truck up for a Luicon when you're just going to go crazy? The, um, I know Bulky's a traits guy, and maybe he didn't anticipate both those guys being there, but. Uh, also, they passed on Aiden Hutchinson for freaking Trayvon Walker. Oh God, it's it's bad. It's bad. I don't want to spend all day talking Jacksonville. So let's let's move yeah, on. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a long conversation for a different day. Yeah, we'll do. We'll obviously get into some real heavy off season stuff with some of these teams. We'll we'll go. We won't go team by team, but we'll definitely hit some interesting ones. Um, all right, Steve. Let's let's go playoffs. We're in playoff football now. Everyone wants to talk about the playoffs and yeah. the slate coming up. Um, I just quickly wanted to go through, kind of break down initial thoughts. I, if we could consolidate every game to a couple central themes, I think that would be effective, and we can we can get through these quickly, while also informing the audience quite a bit, or at least in, you know, given our our take on it. Let's start with Cleveland at Houston. Is that the correct order? Yes. Cle- the sheet yep. you Saturday four thirty yeah. game. Saturday four thirty. Cleveland is playing Which- in Houston. Um. What does it is it is does it mean is it me or has Houston played in this exact slot in the wild card every single time that they've made the playoffs in the last I, 
seven to 12 years or whatever. <laughs> like they're always they the do. 430 game and it's always chaotic. So I, like, yeah, I remember, I remember excited. Houston bills with Deshaun Watson at quarterback. Yep. That game was nutso. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. I think Houston always gets the early Saturday slot and that's that, <laughs> which is funny. Cause they're, they're not a West coast team, but they're a central time team. Right. So in theory, you right. put them later than some of the other games, but um yeah, I, this is a tough one to to predict because, uh, I mean, just even looking at the the matchup stats, you know, you polled or whatever. Like, there's some good matchups on both sides of the ball here where they could really take advantage. Flacco has kind of reinvented this Browns offense. Yep. It's it's going to come down to. So, if I had to highlight what I think this game will come down to, it's what defense shows up to play, but specifically. For the Houston team that could be without Noah Brown, they're obviously down Tank Dell. Bobby Trees is still banged up. Yep. If if Cleveland's defense is allowed to give Nico Collins extra attention, that's a huge win for them. Because as you note here in, in the, the stats you put together, Cleveland runs cover one at the second highest rate in the NFL, and Nico Collins absolutely shreds cover one, 4.3 yards yes. per out run. Furthermore, they have the highest percentage of single high coverage in the NFL. Nico Collins shreds single high in general, not just cover one, single high in general. Um, second in the NFL in yards per route run against single high coverage at 3.83. He gets a heavy target volume. He's going to get even heavier, heavier target volume with uh, Tank Dell out. But if they don't have other guys to take pressure away from uh, from Nico, that's going to allow Cleveland to sit back and bracket and you know do some double. Especially they they love cover one. They can play some cover one double. Yeah, uh, I don't. I, I start to not like the matchup for the Texans in that regard. Yeah, it. Um, they're walking into a situation where they like it. They look like a kind of a one-trick pony offense, and that may be diluting what C.J. Stroud has done and continues to do. Um, yeah. A big thing for the, I think, a huge thing for this Houston team, and it's what kind of led them to get into the playoffs toward the end of the season is they need they need to run the ball effectively. Mm-hmm. I think that that's I think that's a huge part of their huge part of what could be successful for them this uh, in this game. Cleveland started off the year pretty hot against the run after, yep. you know, 2020, uh, 2022, 2023. They struggled against the run. They seemed to shore that up at the beginning of the year. But at, towards the end of the year, they started to get a little bit susceptible to the run um, and teams were able to pick up some yardage there. Houston on the that. flip side. What, oh, sorry, I, have uh, a, I have a banger stat for you in that regard, okay? Yeah. Um, the first eight games of the first half of the season for Cleveland, 0.56 adjusted yards before contact per carry allowed. Yeah. Best number in the NFL since yep. that day, since they played the first half schedule. Hold on, it's loading. That number has shot up to 1.8. So they, I mean, <laughs> their run defense has been like three times worse since the first half of the season. It's definitely cracked a little bit. And I think um, to your point, that bodes really well for Houston. Yeah. And Houston towards the end of the season, they've started to run the ball better. I mean, Devin Singletary started to provide a little bit of a boost uh, in their run game, which has helped, you know, help their play action pass game, help Stroud in general, come alive a little bit. All right. You, you just, for the podcast people brett just made a made a shocked face mid me talking so now i gotta shoot it over to you because clearly you got something good for us well the houston offense side completely resembles the cleveland side in reverse so uh first half of the season houston literally couldn't run the ball 
they av- their offensive line generated 0.63 adjusted yards before contact per carry and then since then they are up to 1.84 that is actually wild steve that is literally two two mirrors yeah that, i mean that's three times better like the three times they, better and, and cleveland's run defense has gotten three times worse that is actually wild how similar those yeah. two storylines are um, so that i think that that's a huge matchup for these for these teams yeah well especially with miles garrett being fully healthy again i know he was banged up for six seven weeks in the middle of the year still played obviously but um he obviously looks healthy and if you want to mitigate pressure um run the ball <laughs> yeah well, so yep. be unpredictable yeah. and i saw I, I i tweeted this yesterday but did you know that nico collins the last four games cj shroud has started so week 13 14 17 18 nico collins overall is averaging 5.99 yards per route run that's 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 insane. a real stat that Were is the last five stat. games you said the last four games that cj stroud okay. has started and that includes the stinker against the Jets. Nico Collins has averaged yeah. 5.99 yards per hour run. You should tweet that before I steal it from you. Just saying. I tweeted, um, I tweeted it at like 2 a.m. last night. So the worst time oh, you did? to tweet it. Yeah, the worst time to tweet it. <laughs> I, quote, I tweeted it with just literally no one online. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I quote tweeted because Nate Tice threw up a clip of one of yeah, a throw, and I quote tweeted it and was like, CJ Stroud has been incredible. And it's a lot, a big part of it has been that Nico Collins has been an, a dude. And yeah. that, yeah, he's averaging. Because like, I think I didn't make it all the way through. But, you know, for the first eight weeks, the best four-week stretch that Tyreek Hill had, he averaged uh, 6.14 yards per route run. And I think that was from weeks two to six. So, like, Nico Collins has emerged as, a obviously, the like um, Stroud's big target, but he's also making the most of it. And he's just playing incredible football. And, I mean, like, that connection is – probably like I would put it up there with one of the best connections in the NFL right now. And it's fun. Cause on the, on the flip side, um, Amari Cooper has been that for Joe Flacco. And so is, I mean, the difference with that is that they also have David Njoku who's come alive as well for the Cleveland I offense. I don't want to talk about Amari Cooper. Sorry. No, he probably cost me at least 10 grand this year in fantasy winnings. <laughs> I, I I'm not kidding. I ran in him in five different leagues in the semis, and as I say, for you or against you? Oh, for me. Oh, sorry, I mean against me. Yeah, I played him against him five times in the semis. He had that 250 and and two TD Oof. game or whatever. So I I I'm always on my list of dudes that I I would love to speak to personally. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, where do you get where do you get where do you get off doing this all of a sudden out of nowhere? Like you couldn't just do like seven for a hundo and a touchdown. I would have won all five of them, but you had to go <laughs> do two fifty and two touchdowns in leagues with bonuses too. Like a lot of the leagues I'm in, they have like a seventy yard play bonus and a, yeah, a two hundred yeah. yard receiving day bonus. Those bonuses almost never get hit. He he hit all of them in one game. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cash I think in one league, I mean, he put up like sixty seven points. I'm just is the is the number one fantasy day of the, of the year for for receiver. I think so. Anyways. Yeah. That's it. Needless to say, this matchup is very intriguing. They played, I mean, they played each other earlier. You can gain nothing from that matchup earlier this year. I mean, virtually nothing. I think maybe Joe Flacco played, but CJ Stroud didn't play. 
Um, it was kind of just a hodgepodge mess of a game. But this, I, I can see this game going one of two ways. I either see it as a very close game or I can see Cleveland taking control and winning this handily. I don't think Houston, I don't think there's a world where Houston, you know, takes care of Cleveland like handily. I just, it, it all comes down to can, can um, Houston get the ball moving against Cleveland's defense? So who are you picking? I'm picking Cleveland. Cleveland? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think Cleveland gets enough stops. I'm going to go Cleveland as well. All right, let's move on to Miami traveling to Arrowhead Stadium. I almost said Arrowland Stadium. That'd be fun. <laughs> Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. Um, I think this is kind of a, a gotcha spot for Miami, Steve. Um, I don't know. I I think I think Kansas City. Like, look through the AFC teams, and I know we're we're high on Baltimore, but you know, other than Baltimore, and I wouldn't even say they have like a, a tremendous chance of coming out. It's really tough to kind of project what's going to happen. I think all these games are tough. Yeah. To the point where I'm kind of back to, you know what? I think Old Faithful and Patrick Mahomes here might be the my my bet to come out of the AFC. I just think maybe he he goes into psycho mode and gets it done. I don't know. I I mean, I think it starts out with this is a horrible matchup for Miami. I think mm-hmm. all around this is just a horrendous matchup for Miami. They're coming in you know, kind of reeling a bit. Like they have not played well the last couple of weeks. Their defense has been absolutely atrocious, atrocious. against against the pass these last couple of weeks. Like this all middle of the field too. This yeah, this all lines up for Patrick Mahomes to have a game that jump starts this team as a whole uh, to start off the playoffs. Like, yeah, Kelsey and Rashi should eat Miami's defense alive. And Miami yes. is down their three best pass rushers now. Because Andrew Van Geekle got hurt. Yeah. Last week. Like, yeah. what are they? I mean, they just signed two dudes off the street, Justin Houston and uh, uh, Bruce Irvin. And Bruce Irvin. Like, Melvin Ingram went from being a, what should have been a situational pass rusher playing, yeah. you know, less than 20 snaps a game to now he's right. Now he's dropping into coverage and he's rushing the passer. And, like, he's, I mean, he's old. And he did not sign up for this, but guess uh-huh. what? This is like, you know, Unfortunately, the Miami defense has kind of been decimated with injuries because they, you know, they're also going to be without Xavier Howard. Yep. And so, just like all around, I think that this is just worst case scenario for Miami. And at the same time, I think that like it's a conversation for another day, but I think that it might end up being a good thing for Miami in the long run in the next couple of years. But um, losing a playoff like, game is good for yes. Miami. Okay. Yes, I, I, I think in the long run. I just think that it ha- it forces a conversation about Tua that I think that if they, oh, okay. if they were wi- if they were winning the playoff games they weren't gonna be, they weren't gonna have especially um, if he kind of craps the bed. Yeah, I mean Miami since week fifteen, Brett Miami is giving up ten point zero eight yards per attempt in single high coverage, and they run single high coverage over fifty percent of the time. Good That's- lord. 10 yards, that's a first down. Every time they drop in a single high, a te- the team they're getting a first down against them. That if you don't, and then listen, there's a world where they, I mean, there's a world where they probably drop into a little bit more too high against Mahomes. That's most team strategy against Mahomes is to just sit back in too high, make it and make him dink and dunk you. But 
I think that it it might not matter. And even hey, when they do, play too high and give give Travis Kelsey the middle of the field. Awesome. Again, Thank you. Yeah, like I think this that's is what, I that's think, all we have, anyways. Same with Rashi. Oh, you're going to give Rashi, you know, lanes to create after the catch. Awesome. Thank you. We'll yeah. take it. Oh, the Isaiah Pacheco's got one less guy in the box to deal with. Cool. We'll take it. We'll run. We'll run it down your throat. Please, Miami, play too high. That's got to be what they're saying. But if you don't, we'll take the ten yards per attempt allowed. Also. <laughs> yeah, and so that's that's the that's the Patrick Mahomes matchup against the Miami defense. Go to the other side. Yeah. Miami offense against the Kansas City defense. Kansas City's defense against the pass has been remarkable the last, like, I mean, this entire season. Like, we, so much has been said about just the struggles of their offense, the struggles of their receiver. Nobody's talking about the fact that, or, I mean, not many people are talking about uh, the fact that Kansas City, the whole reason they are here right now is because of their defense. Patrick Mahomes obviously willed this offense to be better than what they should have been, but that all was made possible. And this entire record that they have is all made possible by the way their defense has been playing. And this defense is playing, playing, playing a strategy the last couple weeks that they've really found a groove in that kind of stifles the Miami offense. And that's, they drop into too high and they play the middle of the field really well. Which listen, take away the middle of the field from Tua, he kind of gets into hell. Like he operates big over the middle over the middle of the field. I think his he's up there with most yards thrown over the middle of the field. His his completion percentage over expectation over the middle of the field is up over ten percent. Like he's been balling over the middle of the field. But Kansas City has been dropping into two high, and they've done it on over seventy percent of their snaps the last couple of weeks, and they're allowing a, like a point two eight fantasy points per drop back, which, you know, basically means that they're allowing very few yards per drop back yeah. when running too high. And that's all they're running. And Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, they are first and third in yards per route run against too high, but it's lower than the number that Tyreek has against like any other coverage. It's 3.56. And that's right. just from the nature of too high coverage. Obviously it's supposed to limit the deep ball. And that's what we've seen from everything in front of you as well. So, yeah. And that's, I think that's the way to beat Miami is they just don't let, and don't let those receivers get behind you and force Tua to force Tua to make the hard throws down in and down out and force him to push the ball outside. And eventually, eventually you'll force him to make a mistake or he won't be able to push it enough. And the offense will kind of whittle out. Yep. So who are you taking? You taking KC? It sounds like I'm taking KC. I mean, oh. I think I think they win by a touchdown and a field goal or more. I think this is just the this is the worst possible matchup for Miami. Yep, I agree. Um, yep, I'm taking KC as well. All right, Pittsburgh travels to Buffalo. This is the Sunday 1 p.m. game, correct? Or yes, yes. yes. Yes, yes, yes. Sunday, one PM game. Um, I don't. There's not a lot to get into here, Steve. Um, I kind of think this is a gross matchup. Don't really want to watch this game. Um, it's gross from the, every standpoint, including the yeah. fact that I think the weather is supposed to be absolutely gross. garbage. Yeah, um, I do think Buffalo comes out the victor here. I think quarterback wins this game easy. Pittsburgh is going to be starting what Mason Rudolph, correct? Yeah, yeah, and they're I mean, without T.J. Watt. 
Yeah, no Watt. Um, and their pressure rate has been all over the map this season, even with Watt. So <laughs> I know last five weeks it's been good, but anyways, I'm uh, I'm going Buffalo here. I think they're off. Yeah. They're they're in a little bit. I know they didn't look great in week eighteen, uh, mostly because of untimely turnovers. They moved the ball just I mean, fine. Too, they uh, could have. I mean, that's there's a world where they could have put up forty nine points. Yeah, that should I have mean, been like a 20, think, 21 game point game at halftime for sure. Yeah, it should have been much more similar score to their first matchup against Miami right. than what it was. I mean, I think they made it to the red zone five times and they scored seven points. Like, yep, you can't really bank on that happening. Again. Again, and listen, Pittsburgh's offense with Mason Rudolph has been good. It's been much better than what they were, and yeah. the run game has come alive. And Buffalo is susceptible to get run on, but I just think that eventually, like, just with the injuries on the Buff on the Pittsburgh side, and the fact that the Buffalo defense has kind of started to figure it out amidst all their injuries, and they've started to get guys to perform and be cohesive and work together well. I just think that. You know, what could end up being a close game going into halftime, I think that eventually Buffalo just kind of wears them out and pulls away. Yeah. And that's, you know, the fact that Pittsburgh is even here, I don't even, I like can't even, it's just, it's unreal. And it just does, it never fails to just make me scoff that, they, that they're even in this position because there's no world where they should be, but they are. Yep. And good for them, but you know, I think I think the the run ends here for them. Agreed. Um, all right, Green Bay travels to Dallas. This game to me is a little bit more of a toss up. I'll give you my spiel, and then I'll let you wrap. Um, yeah, I think ultimately, I want to say Green Bay is exciting enough to get this done against Dallas, but I don't think it's going to happen, Stephen. Not yet. I think Dallas is too good at attacking the middle of the field. CeeDee Lamb and and uh, Jake Ferguson. Um, Brandon Cooks works in the slot a little bit too. And Green Bay is so bad defending the middle of the field. I just think Dak's going to eat them alive. I think CD should go back, the game. Go back and watch the Tampa Bay game and just imagine how that's going to – just imagine how that's going to look for the Dallas offense as opposed to Baker Mayfield. Yes, yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm going Dallas. Long story short, I just think Dallas is such a such a much better roster, top to bottom. I think, especially at home, Dak plays pretty well. Um, you know, I don't think they'll be able to you know run the ball very well necessarily, but I do think you know they'll be able to dominate the middle of the field. And Ceedee Lamb should have a monster game, continue his you know amazing season he's had. So pretty simple to me. I'm taking Dallas. I I'm gonna go Green Bay. Oh wow, just. So Green Bay's offensive line has played well the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. And so, I mean, we've talked about it a lot throughout the season. So much of what Dallas does well on defense is predicated on their ability to create chaos in the backfield. I think Green Bay, the way their offense is playing, I think they have enough weapons that, they, that they're going to be able to protect Jordan Love. And I think he's going to be able to push the ball down the field. I think this. I think it's a game that comes down to the final possession. I think that it's a, a high. I think it's going to be a high-flying, high-scoring game. But I just think that I don't know. And maybe it's my maybe it's the my misconception of what Dallas is in the playoffs as a whole and all <laughs> of that. But I just think that I think Green Bay has 
so much less. They're playing with house money right now. There's no pressure on them whatsoever. They were not supposed to be here. Everybody kind of wrote them off from the beginning of the year. Jordan Love has been playing really well. I just think that there's something to be said about the scrappy young team that, you know, can make it happen. And, I mean, the stats look good. Jordan Love has been really good on play action. He's averaging 9.31 yards per attempt. He has a 112.7 passer rating on play action passes. Dallas has kind of fallen apart against play action. They're giving up almost eight yards an attempt on play action passes. They're giving up a 104.8 passer rating. Um, I just think that there's something to be said about being able to play with no worries. And this is, a, I mean, like the stats also line up for Dak to have a huge game. And I understand that this is more of just like a, a feel thing. And I just, I feel, I have a, I have a feeling that Green Bay might pull off this upset. All right. You're picking Green Bay. I'm picking Dallas. Good stuff. All right, the uh, the emotional game of the slate. <clears throat> the Matthew Stafford-led Rams travel to Detroit to take on the Jared Goff-led Lions. There's a lot at stake for both these franchises. Obviously, you know, the Lions want to slay the remaining demons in their life, and a Stafford-led Rams is probably it. It's probably the only left you know only stake left to drive through the heart of the old sol moniker yes uh, it is it's the it's the final i i said it to my buddies the other day that it's like the final pillar of pain yep. that they have to knock down to to officially have the previous everything torn down pushed aside yep. and the new everything is brought back to is built up and brought back to life or brought to life not even back there's never been there hasn't been back really <laughs> right um yeah this this game's got this is uh I've, I've gone i've really because of obviously our ties to detroit i've i've tried to look at this objectively a thousand times yes um, i do think in the end the lions get this done um i really really like what how this defense has evolved for Detroit. And I know, listen, I know a lot of people are going to sit back and go, what? This defense is playing terrible. They just gave up 140 yards to Jefferson and 200 plus to CD and then 198 to Jefferson again. Uh, I don't 700, over 700 yards to uh, maybe almost 800 actually to Nick Mullins at quarterback. Yes. Um, But, couple things i do think this defense has evolved i think aaron glenn has completely changed his philosophy and what they're doing this year and i think yes. it's working and it's it's really they i'm not going to sit here and pound the table and say the Lions defense is great but i think at worst it's very opportunistic yes. and in th- the opportunity they're getting they're setting up themselves it's not like they're re- relying on fluke magic to get this done they are pressuring the quarterback they've made the decision we know we have one dude that yes. can get it done in one, you know, in a one-on-one situation, and because of that, he's never getting one-on-one situations. So we have to manufacture pressure. Just take the the last game for example. They blitzed Mullins on thirty-six percent of his dropbacks. They stunted or lined up and rushed with five defensive linemen on an eight additional dropbacks. So Nick Mullins saw pressured looks on over fifty percent of his dropbacks, as in we're designing pressure. Like this is a like you know yeah. you're getting pressured right now. Like you know that ball's going to come out quickly. Um, over the last four games, this has been a theme of Aaron Glenn. 
Yes. Um, their blitz rates up over 40%. It was the first half of the season, it was 20%, Steve. Over yep. the last four games, it's over 40%. So they have more than doubled their blitz rate. Um, yep. The way they're disguising it, too, they're dropping D-line into coverage, they're replacing that guy with a second-level defender, a safety sometimes, a linebacker. They're slanting that D-line to try to you know create r- rushing lanes for for blitzing secondary players. Um, it's really creative. With it. It's almost like he's watched Brian Flores tape and said, you know what, We're, we've got we've to do something here. Our D-line's not getting it done, yeah. and it's working. The punt rate has gone way up. The uh, third down stop rate has gone way up. They're limiting long drives to field goals at a much higher rate. They're, the yeah. touchdown rate against is way down to where it was middle of the season when we were freaking out about this defense. Uh, as a result, points per game has been down as well. And again, this isn't against bad uh, offenses. They've, they've done this against two. These have been pretty good offenses. So um, it's kind of like the old NBA thing where you're playing Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. You know, defensively, your mindset was they're going to get theirs. Let's just make sure no one else does. That's what the Lions are doing. CD yep. Lamb had a great game, but that was it for Dallas. Justin Jefferson's had yep. two great games, but that's it. Um, and the, the, furthermore, I, I want to say the passing yards they've given up those last three, four weeks, a lot of it has to do with the fact it's twofold. One, you can't run against this team. Yep. And teams know that. They're coming into it. Like, we've seen multiple games now where a team is throwing the ball on the first five to ten plays from scrimmage. They're not even trying to run the ball, Steve. They know it's yep. not doable. So the the attempts against the Lions defense are up. That's going to – obviously, that's going to lead to more passing yards against them. Um but what's really good is when they're forcing a, a early down incompletion, they're getting off the field on third down, unlike early in the season. And then the, yeah. the flip side is the Lions have been playing with a lead. Like the last, uh, other than the, da- actually the Dallas game, they had a lead for a lot of that game too. Um, so when they're playing with the lead, teams are throwing the ball to come back. I mean, that's what, yeah. like, they, they led for, uh, what was it? F- 50, 52 minutes of the Minnesota game the other day. They had the lead. 52 yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, you're going to see a lot of passes against you in those scenarios. So I mean, the, I'm not I mean, listen. Uh, <clears throat> the team that has the most dropbacks against them this year is the San Francisco 49ers. So, like playing with the lead, you're just yeah. inherently going to get more passes thrown against you. Yep, exactly. Now, again, I'm not saying Lions defense is good. They obviously have issues in the secondary at corner specifically. Uh, when the pass rush doesn't get home, it's ugly. Um, but it's much better. Their defense is much better. And the turnovers, eight turnovers in the last four games, uh, the sacks have gone way up um Aiden Hutchinson's production has gone through the roof because now he's yep uh, defenses or sorry offenses can't commit multiple bodies to him because they're in you know dual situations where they're yep. having it you know running backs are having to check blitzers coming and Hutch gets that one-on-one it's a much better situation across the board yep. um I think they're doing enough that offense is so good that I, I do think and in, in the end they get this done against the Rams yeah yeah, Sorry, I think you mean no. You you summed it up really well. I'll add like a couple things. I I I think this is the perfect matchup for Detroit. I was you know like going into the week eight, going into week eighteen. And this is the matchup that I think Detroit should and want should and needed to have happen because a Green Bay matches up in a weird like they're tough. They you know division opponent all of that going against the Rams. The Rams have been great. But listen, Matthew Stafford has been one of the worst quarterbacks against the Blitz. What have the, the what have the Lions been doing? They've been blitzing a ton. Um, what do the Rams build their offense on? They build their offense on the on the run. That and yeah. what do the Lions do? Oh, well, dude. they play well against the run. 
And they, I should I mean, have pulled splits because Stafford is noticeably ba- way worse when he doesn't have a run game this year. Yes. Yeah. And so, yep. you know, it's like that matches up well. And then what the Rams do on defense, the Lions are going to pound. I think the Lions are going to pound the rock against the Rams because if you look at first. it, the Rams, when you run at Aaron Donald, if you're running into the A and B gaps against the Rams, they're giving up 3.6 yards per carry. Mm-hmm. Just really good. That's you know that's right up there. Would be one of the top in the NFL. If you run away from Aaron Donald, you run outside CD gaps. They're giving up five point three yards per carry. Yeah. The Lions yep. are. I think the Lions are going to outside zone. They're going to counter. They're going to They've run away from Aaron Donald. Actually, the Lions have. Yeah, and so I think that that all lines up for. This is just. I think this is a really good matchup for Detroit, and I think that they finally conquer. The woes of previous yeah. years, the last 30 years. I think that this is, it all lines up to play really well for Detroit. Agreed. Agreed. All right. One more, Steve, and we're, we are done. And it's kind of another gross one Eagles at Bucks. Um, this game, if you're an Eagles fan, oh my God, this is gross, dude. This is gross. I, I hate to say it, guys, and I know we have a lot of Eagles fan listeners. I I don't see this going well for you. I'm sorry. I think you're dead. I don't. I don't know. I, I I'm I'm really sorry. Um, main thing that sticks out: Philadelphia's defense is probably one of the worst in the NFL right now, and it doesn't make sense. They have so much talent on the DL uh, D line. That is, since Week Ten, Philly has given up. This is a Steve stat, by the way. Philly's given up 0.58 fantasy points per dropback when lined up in single high coverage. Mike Evans is the single high coverage annihilator. Three point yards per route run against single high coverage. I mean, this, oh God, I just don't see a world where the Eagles can stop Evans and Godwin. I don't, I can't see it, especially with Canales, the way he's calling plays, getting Baker off his spot. Even if the pass rush shows up for the Eagles, they're, Tampa's going to mitigate it. They just are. Which that's, that's, which that's not even a guarantee. The way, I mean, right, the last yeah, couple of weeks, the Eagles pass rush hasn't really shown up. And on the flip side, the path protection for the Eagles has been spotty at best. The like since the middle of the since their you know skid has begun. It's hard to grade their pass rush because Hertz holds the ball for so effing long. (laughs) It is, but like I mean, at the same like that's you know kind of goes into it. Pass protection is as much on the you know is it's a you know as much in the quarterback's hand as it is in the offensive line's hand, and. Yeah, it may be Hertz's fault, but it's still someone's fault. And it's still the reason fault. he's still getting happening. pressured constantly. So, like, you know, I, like the Buccaneers love to blitz. The Buccaneers, Todd Bowles loves to cause chaos. They have this team, these teams have matched up already this year. The Eagles kind of took care of them handily, but that was when they're, that was when the Eagles were playing really well. Yeah. And this is just, this is just and a it, different it was team Philly, right now. Wasn't it? it was in Philly. Yes. Yeah. This game's in Tampa. Yeah, so Baker's been pretty good at home this year. Yeah, yeah, and I just I agree. I think I agree. It's you know, it's oh boy. there's just too many things going wrong in Philly. I mean, you think AJ Brown is supposed to be back, but that's not necessarily a 100 percent guarantee. I mean, I assume I that, forgot he was hurt, Steve. I think that yeah, I think it would take a lot to keep him off the field, but you know, there's still an injury, and it just. Just I, uh, 
there's a lot of bad taste in my mouth for Philly leading up to this game. And I think that every single Philadelphia fan feels the same way. I mean, like I, the ever the resounding the resounding thing that I heard Chris said it, and I saw it, I saw it from a lot of other Eagles fans is just that when they saw that when they saw that the Eagles got the Monday night game, everybody's resounding thought process was great. Now we have to wait that long for it to be to, for it to end for us, and just yeah, like, I think that all around the from the fans inside the organization, which obviously I'm not inside, so I. Can't speak. I can't necessarily speak to it, but it feels that just morale is at the lowest point possible right now, and that's that's not a great spot to be in going into the playoffs. I agree completely. They've backed into the playoffs. I told Chris the other day. It reminds me of was it the twenty was it the twenty seventeen Lions team that played the Seahawks in the first round? Yes, that team started out what six and two, seven and two. Yep, Jim Caldwell's last year. And they completely back. And I know, sorry, let me back up. I know that Lions team didn't have the pedigree this Eagles team does. Obviously, this Eagles team just played in the Super Bowl, not comparing them from a talent standpoint. But the way their seasons have gone reminds me of the same. Like, Lions are very dominant early in the year and then completely fell apart down the stretch, backed into the playoffs, and then got absolutely popped by a a mediocre Seattle team in the first round of the playoffs. It was embarrassing. I just kind of feel like everyone on Detroit wanted that season over, all the players. You could see yeah. it, and then, in a similar in a similar vein, it reminds me of I don't remember what year it was, but the Pittsburgh Steelers team that started out eleven and zero, and then ended up losing a bunch of games at the end, and they were same thing yeah. entering the playoffs where it was like every Steelers fan was like, "This is horrible, just put us out of our misery." The, the even the eleven and zero start was a complete facade. Like it just that's what it kind of feels like is where. You know, the Eagles team, the offense was consistently not performing up to what everybody wanted the standard to be. You saw flashes here and there, but they were winning some close games. They were pulling out some games that, you know, maybe not a lot of people thought they they should have won. And then now it's all kind of coming to fruition that that facade is falling apart. And so, you know, same same type of mentality, same type of idea where it's like, you're seeing the true nature and the true holes in, of the team are finally being picked apart after like being held together by scotch tape. Yeah, that's a great callback. That Steelers team started ten and zero and finished eleven and five. This Eagles yeah. team started ten and one and finished eleven and six. So very similar. Yeah. Um, also, they have Matt Patricia calling defensive plays for them. Matt Patricia is a cancer, and I think he ruins everything it's, he touches. So it's going um, as good as it's going as good as everyone should have expected with Matt Patricia taking over. The, uh, the defense the defense looks the same as it looked when Matt Patricia finished in New England. Same defense it looked when he was in Detroit. It's, you know, it's same same yeah. concepts, maybe a little bit less man coverage, but like it just feels the same because it's and just the it is the same. The constant miscommunication resembles everything yes. Matt's ever done too. Um yeah. the not to hammer like I don't want to get off track here, but real quick, Eagles I know John Gannon was a kind of a laughing stock among Eagles fans, and they thought it was addition by subtraction. I bet you they're eating some of their words today. But also, it just goes to show you that lose continuity in the NFL is so important, whether it's O-line yes. or coaching staffs. Um, it really is. Continuity is important. It's hard to establish a culture when you are constantly changing out important people. 
Um, losing both yeah. your coordinators in the same year is not good. Even if you didn't like John Gannon, um, when they lost both Steichen and and Gannon, that's a huge hit to the the culture and yeah. the the why we do what we do, the who we are, the identity, all of that stuff was kind of ripped out. I mean, I think next time that happens, you should we should beware of that team the following season. Lions are in a position right now where they could lose both coordinators, um, yep. and that would that would hurt them badly because I know how the players feel about both of those coaches. So, yeah. All right, that's going to do it. We were productive today, Steve. We got through three pretty in-depth topics of conversations in, in less than an hour and 15 minutes. We brought you previews for all six games this weekend. I feel good. I, I feel like we really acquitted ourselves well here, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited for the games this weekend. I think that despite we, we agreed on a lot, I still think that there's a lot of things that could happen with these yeah. matchups. I think that there's not necessarily, you know, Outside of the like the Buffalo Pittsburgh game, which I think will just be chaotic because of Josh Allen anyway. Um, you know, there's just there's a lot of different ways these games could go, and I think it's going to be a good it's going to be a good weekend of football, and it's setting up to be a, like just a fun playoffs in general. Agreed. All right, that's going to do it. Head over to fanspoints.com to check out all of the cool playoff content we got coming out. The data suite is still being updated and live, and there's really cool data points in there. Every data point you heard from us today was pulled from the Fantasy Points data suite. Um, All right. We're out, Steve. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.